Everybody okay this morning? Matthew chapter 5, who wants to talk a little bit about loving your enemies this morning? Every week we just kind of keep stepping it up. I just, you know, the the crowd dwindles week after week through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Apparently there's a lot of enemies in that area because nobody sat in that middle section this morning. But uh, we're continuing on through Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in Matthew for the last few months. We specifically spent the last eight weeks talking through the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And throughout this passage, we've continued to watch Jesus take the Jewish law, like the Old Testament law, um, and, and begin to show how he was the fulfillment of that. Or in other words, how as a follower of Jesus, we even live as a part of this different kingdom that we continue to talk about, this kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, a kingdom by which we are the salt and the light of the earth, amen? Uh, a kingdom that's upside down and different backwards from the world that we live in. It's a kingdom that Jesus rules and we, um, in submission to him, become part of this kingdom. And so Jesus, as we've set the stage every week for this, has gathered this group of people around this hill on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's begun to um, present this teaching. And um, he, he's been teaching these people, his, his disciples and a few stragglers that are hanging out there, the, he's been teaching them these kingdom principles that he was establishing. And at face value, they seem to go against the law that the Jews specifically knew from the Old Testament. It seems Jesus would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And it seems at face value that he's contradicting the Old Testament law. But how, however, as we dig into these more and more every week and we begin to understand the full context that Jesus is presenting these characteristics of Jesus' followers, we realize that they don't go against the Jewish law at all, but rather seem to take the law from being observances that were followed um, to these heart conditions, like Jesus wanted it to be within us, to be something that came from the inside out, these heart conditions that motivate us as followers of Jesus to live into this kingdom that Jesus has established on this earth. And so last week, I mentioned that um, in first century Judaism, you had the written law, and then you also had the oral law, the oral tradition. And so when, when Jesus would say, you've heard it said, most of the time he's either quoting from the written law or he's quoting from oral tradition, like tradition passed down from rabbis over the generations. And so we talked a few weeks ago about how those rabbis, that was, sounds like a spaceship, um, talked about how they, they, these rabbis uh, would all have kind of their different take on the law. And then those would get passed down in oral tradition over generations. And so it changed depending, there's a little bit of different tinge to the law based on the rabbi that you followed. But to give you just some quick context, so at this time, um, Jesus is in the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's like this political hotbed. You've got all these different political and religious groups kind of warring against one another. But one of the things you have to realize with the Jews is that even though they're Jews and they're on Jewish land, it's ruled by whom? Rome, right? It's the, it's the Greeks that have established the rule. And so the Jews are actually living under like a, oppressive circumstances. I mean, imagine this, 80%-ish of their, tax, of their incomes are being taxed and giving back to Rome. So as Jesus begins to talk about enemies, you have to understand that it's not just 
your, your family that you dislike or your friend that you have a hard time with. Like Jesus is referring to political enemies. He's talking about religious enemies. He's, there's all these different sects of people coming against the Jews. And so if you're a Jew during Jesus' time, you have to know you're living in like oppressive circumstances. Uh, Jesus says like pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And so they have to give to Caesar and pay to Caesar even though they're Jews, they're not Greeks. And so it's an interesting circumstance the first time I went, we're living under. It wasn't just like la-di-da. Uh, several years ago when I went to, the first time I went to Israel, we stood um, up on the northern end of Israel on top of this hillside looking over into Syria. And as we, we stood on this military base that we got access to, and we, I was dropped in by helicopter by, on parachute, and I parachuted into them. I'm just uh, but we're standing on this hillside, like looking over into Syria. And you've got Israel, which was at peace. Two miles away across the border, there's literally a desolate town with 1,500 people living in there that were all part of like the, these regimes, these, these armies that are warring against one another, these malicious groups. And so um, on one side, you've got peace. Right across the border, you've got total devastation. A, a, a town that used to have 50,000 people in it is now 1,500 because all the civilians have been ran out because of the wars, the civil war that's taking place within their own state. And so um, we're listening to bombs go off. We're listening to gunfire and all these things happen. And I, and I look at the guy who we're with, who was with the, the Israel Defense Force. And I said, um, there's only 1,500 people there. Obviously all the hospitals are closed down. Where are these people that are injured going to to get help? And he said, where do you think? And I said, I have no idea. You tell me. He said, we actually bring them across the border into Israel. And we bring them into our hospitals. And we help get them to a place where they are healthy. And then we take them back and put them across the border. I'm like, that is absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. that They would take their enemy, bring them across the border, get them to health, and then send them back out. I mean, who does those kinds of things? And so you have to understand this is something that the Jews lived out. Like when we talk about loving our enemy, like it's literally happening right now. As we sit here this morning, gunfire and bombs are going off in Syria and, and right across the border, it's peace. And the people of peace are helping these people come across the border to get restored to health, to go back into their native land. It's insane, absolutely crazy. So, you're still with me? Okay, uh, Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 43, say word when you get there. Awesome, there's three of you. Um, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So verse three, um, you see again that God wants us to move towards the mean people in our lives. <laughs> towards the enemy, the, the people that hate us. And he says this in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you should love, you should love your neighbor. And then what's he followed up with? 
and hate your enemy. It's actually, he's pulling from Leviticus, the first half there, this love your neighbor section from the law, but it actually never says in the law to hate your enemy. It was probably something that was developed into that over time as this oral tradition was passed down from generation to generation. But you, you basically had them just assume the opposite, right? Like you can love your neighbor and what's the opposite of loving your neighbor? Well, it's hate your enemy. So if God wants us to love our neighbor, then he must also desire for us to hate the enemy. And so this would have been the natural assumption that they would have made over time. But they basically said loving your neighbor was about loving your friends and and your countrymen. And and for the Jews, it was you love other Israelites. You don't have to love the Samaritans. Um, you, You love the people that are like you. So if they hate you, you don't have to like them. You can hate them too. In fact, you can even vilify your enemies. You can make them bad. They, they, they might not be bad, but make them bad so that you can be justified in not liking them. We don't do that anymore, do we? <laughs> if they don't like you, I don't like them. And it really goes back into what Jesus was saying last week when he was talking about this eye for an eye. It's like blow for blow. You don't like me? I don't like you. You like me? I like you. Like friends are only made when there's some sort of reciprocal um, action going on. And so you can praise the people that you get along with and the people you don't get along with. It, It actually just doesn't matter. That's what they were saying. So Jesus says, but I say to you, and and this is what Jesus says in verse 44, love your enemies and do what? Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I've, I've said this before, but Jesus is, he, he's really interested in, in sort of the absurdity and the things that he's saying, like how this sounds. It sounds like they're contradicting each other. And so he uses these sort of absurd illustrations sometimes. If you walk through Matthew 5, do you go, oh, yeah, that makes total sense? <laughs> Most of the time you're like, I don't really understand. It doesn't make sense. Like Jesus sort of catches you off guard. But Jesus sort of wants us to go, like, what in the world is he talking about? Because the kingdom is just so different. His kingdom is so different in its values. Um, sometimes when my kids were, were little and they needed something, uh, or they, need, they, they wanted to do something and they, that they uh, weren't expecting, sorry. When my kids were little and they would come to me and they'd say, um, can I do this? And I'd say, no. They'd go, what? And, and then, or, or um, I'd say, hey, go do this. And they'd go, what? And so the joke in our household, whenever my kids would kind of throw out that wine, is I'd just be like, what, what? You know, like, sorry, I was teasing my kids. But, but that's sort of the response that Jesus is probably getting from these people. Like, what? Like, that sounds, this sounds crazy. And so I, I like to think that this reaction of the people listening to Jesus is sort of absurd. Like, what in the world is going on? Because he says, he says, love your enemies. He, he says, be concerned for your enemies' welfare. Be loyal to their welfare. See, the, the love here that he's talking about is this faithful loyalty to your enemies before God himself. And praying for the, what? And, thanks, Matt. Uh, <laughs> and then praying for those who persecute you. 
So this is probably a, a little more specific in the context. They hate you, they curse you, they abuse you, they mistreat you, they neglect you. Like here are the people that are persecuting you. And basically what he says is this. He says, look to me for your persecutors. Look to me for your enemies. And Jesus says, trust in me for your enemies. Trust in me for those people. Talk to me about them. Talk to me about what it is that they're doing. And maybe you've experienced this as well. But what's the best way to love people that you don't like? Pray for them. Pray for them. The best way to love people that you don't like and that are mean to you is to start praying for them. Anybody ever tried that before? How difficult is it to get to that point? You're like, I know I should pray for them. I'm not gonna. I do not want Jesus to bless that person, you know what I mean? And really, it's a selfish posture if you think about it, because what we're saying is, I don't want them to have more than I have. I will actually withhold my prayers from them because I don't want them to be blessed beyond myself. And what Jesus is saying is much like what he said last week in giving them the shirt off your back, going the extra mile, is we're not just gonna actually love our enemies and get along with them, you're gonna actually press in and you're gonna pray for them. You're gonna actually pray for God's blessing upon the people that have been the hardest for you to deal with. He wants you to talk to him about these people. A lot of times what we do is we just throw our hands up in the air and we start to move away from people, like I'm done with them. I'm just done. But what God says is that, that that's not what he's calling us to. That's not what his kingdom looks like. We don't get a pass to vilify these people. We, we don't get a pass to run away from people. You know, the, the, interest, the interesting thing about what Jesus says here when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, is that it assumes this posture of forgiveness, doesn't it? It, it, it assumes the, the, this posture of saying, like, Lord, I forgive them for what they did, and we humbly approach God on their behalf, and we pray for them, and we want the walls to be broken down, but what happens more often than not is somebody hurts us, and then we go, done, and then we back away. God, you can deal with them, right? <laughs> Lord, have your way with them, and it's like the spiritual answer, but what God's wanting you to do is actually lean into that, to move towards those people, to love them, and to seek him on their behalf. And so it, it assumes that we're, we're a people, as these people of his kingdom, that are forgiving. And, and we've talked about this in the past. If we only have one thing to our credit as believers, as this hallmark for what it means to follow Jesus, it's forgiveness. It's that we let things go. It's that we, we can separate the future from the past and the present from the past, and we can say, I let these things go. I'm not gonna hold them against that person anymore. And are we a people of forgiveness, or are we a people of bondage? Which? Not rhetorical, which are we? <laughs> forgiveness. forgiveness. We're, we're a people of peace. We're not a people that are strangling others and saying like, pay me back what you owe. And what Jesus is saying assumes this posture of forgiveness and there's no real weakness in forgiveness. A lot of times people say forgiveness is weakness, right? That they don't wanna forgive because it's like giving in, but in all actuality, there's only strength in forgiveness. It only makes us stronger. It takes a lot to let things go. 
doesn't it? It takes a lot to let things go. And it's a choice that you make. It's an active posture that we take. Are we a people of forgiveness, church? Are we? Yeah, watch, watch what you say this morning, right? We are a people of forgiveness. And the best way that we have this opportunity to love our enemies is to start by praying. And as we pray, we're able to forgive because we understand how much we've been forgiven. This is the kicker. It's really hard to hold things against people when we understand what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? Look what it says. He says, do this. And then this is really interesting. He's starting to sort of build this argument from, from, uh, through chapter 5. And he says in verse 45, like, why do we do this? Why, why do we love our enemies? Why do we move towards people? Why do we pray for them? And then he goes on to say that you may be sons of your father who's where? In heaven. It's part of being in the image of our dad. I think a lot of times our enemies, like we, we have it out to believe that the enemies are out there, that the enemies are the people on the news, <laughs> that the enemies are, you know, political parties. But enemies can be our family. Enemies can be our friends. Enemies can even exist within our church family. We can have some sort of disagreement. We can have some sort of issue uh, and something's going to happen. Either we're going to work it out and we're going to love each other or we're going to blow the relationship up and divide over it. And what he says is this, when you love your enemies, you look like your dad. You represent your father. You, you look like your father when you love the unlovable and that's an amazing calling for us as followers of Jesus. So he kind of moves in this interesting direction. He says this, do this so that you look like your father. You reflect him because that, that means that our postures of forgiveness, that we're moving forward and we're loving people, we're moving towards those people, we're praying for those people. And he says this at the end of 45, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the sun rises on everybody, is what he says. And rain happens, it falls upon everybody. I hate rain. Anybody else in this place hate rain? Oh man, Seattle did me in. I actually, I lived there for six years. I hate the rain. Understand that rain in this context, as Jesus is talking about, was actually a blessing. Like in, in Judaism, rain was good. Like what it, it watered the crops. It, it was it represented a blessing from the Lord. So again, remember where they're coming from, like the semi-dry desert climate. And so rain is this amazing thing. And so what he says is, hey, the, the sun rises on you whether you obey or not. This is the crazy thing about grace. Like you still get rained on whether you obey. God still blesses even those that are unjust. He still shows himself through his creation to those that are enemies of God. That's just insane to think about. And it made me think of the story of Jonah and it not being like Jonah. Like, remember what happened with Jonah? Like, the, the rain and the storm um, wasn't just on Jonah, remember? Like, everybody kind of paid for it, right? 
But this isn't how God treats us. He, he says that he's treating us all the same, that he gives to those who mistreat him and he gives to those who are good to him. That, that's what he's saying. God isn't discriminatory. God loves us all. God's gracious with all of us. And so what he's saying is, again, that God isn't discriminatory. What he's saying here is how I deal with circumstances actually defines who I look like. How I deal with circumstances defines who I look like. I look like my father. I either look like my spiritual father or you look like Adam, like the earthly father, the the one who fell away and rebelled. It's either the kingdom of self, it's the kingdom of God. And this is the tension that we live in. Which kingdom will you live into? If you choose to follow Jesus and live in his kingdom, then we become people of peace. Those that love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. It's different. If you love those who love you, he says this in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? What he's saying here is that he's starting to, he's starting to move into chapter six with, with how he's gonna do this, but he's saying, hey, you don't have anything in heaven when you love people who love you. That's easy work. He's actually calling us to persecute. Have you ever loved somebody that you didn't like that much? Have you ever had those people that just are not your biggest fans? They, they, they like you and you're like, I didn't even know why they like me. <laughs> It's not really hard to like those people back because they like you so much, right? But then there's that person that doesn't like you at all, that person that, that, that can be mean, that, that says some of the most offhanded stuff, the, the person that doesn't deal with you well, the, th- the person that says crazy things about you to other people, the person that gives you dirty looks every single time you see them. That's difficult stuff. Like, have you ever had that before in your life? people that just don't like you, like they just simply do not like you. And he says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? He says, don't even the tax collectors do that? When we see the tax collectors, we go boo, right? Like this is, this audience um, that would have sat there were like, tax collectors, gross, these people just take our money, like I don't wanna have anything to do with them, they're mean, they're vile, They're, they're wretches, they extort people, they represent Rome and Caesar. And Jesus says, those people who do all those things that you don't like, do what? Love them. Love them. And don't just love the people that you like. Your reward is missing if you just love those that are easy to love. And he says this in verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So if you greet your brothers, the people that are close to you, the people that you know, that you walk into a room and you look for those people, what are you doing more than anyone else? He says, don't even the Gentiles. Here, here's, a, here's a word that we haven't mentioned up to this point, but remember his audience, his audience is Jewish, and, and then these Gentiles were the people that did not know God, they were not Jews, and so what he says is, don't they do that also? Like, even the ones that don't love God still do that. Don't they greet people who greet them and and their friends and their family and the people that are close to them? And they don't even know the Lord and they still do those things. 
And so why should God reward you for being nice to your family? It's kind of what he's saying. You know, that, that they did a lot for you. Why should it be of benefit to you when you're nice to your parents, when, when they gave and sacrificed and raised you? Why should God reward you just for that? Why should God reward you for coming into a church filled with believers and just existing and not greeting and not caring and not moving towards people? What reward is there in that? How does that make sense? How is that moving towards people? How's that moving towards this better way that Jesus is painting for us? One of the things that I realize, the older I get and the more things that I get involved in is that the more people you know, the more difficulties you have, right? The harder it is because people are difficult. I'm difficult. If you know me, I'm really difficult at times. But we as people, the more humans that we have that come under a single roof, the more issues that we have because we're all human, which means the the more we don't move away, the more we have to dig deep and say, we want to actually reflect our Father who's in heaven. We want to reflect our King. We want to move towards people as our King did the same thing. We're, we're here today and we're free from the bondage of sin, not because of what we did, not because we tried harder or did better, but because of Jesus, right? And, and that's what we're gonna see here in this next verse. One of the things I would say is this, if I can exist in a place, I don't care if that's my family, my friend group, a body of believers, but if I can exist in a place and not have a spiritual impact on the people that I'm with, It's because this verse is for me. It's because Jesus is talking to me. If I'm existing in a space and expecting people to meet my needs rather than to reflect my king and and move towards him, Jesus said that the way to get is to give and to move. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about this whole idea of being generous, going above and beyond, giving the shirt off your back, going the extra mile, moving towards people and trusting God that he will provide all that we need to love them like he loves them. And these are the hard things. These are the hard words. He says in verse 48, I believe this is his summary of everything he said so far. He's moving to this point. He's he's taking even further. All the standards were here. And it's like the the, the high jump, guys. Like, let's go here. He said what Jesus is doing is spiritually, he's getting everyone to the same place. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Does that make anybody in this room just feel super good? Any perfect people in here this morning? Be perfect, because he's perfect. Your heavenly Father is perfect. Therefore, we must be perfect. Nobody's perfect, but you should be. You're meant for perfection in Christ. He's your righteousness. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In all of our hearts, we feel that longing, and all of us try to fill that void and try to be good enough and try to be right enough. And what God has called us to is a total position of trust in Jesus, trusting him because we cannot do it ourselves, trusting in him, having faith in him. We start to have that ability to be who we were designed to be in Christ. And what we've seen so far is this call to be perfect. Like if you go back to uh, chapter five, verse 17 through 20, he says, stop trusting in your own strength. Like guys, stop trusting in your own strength. It doesn't work. You need to trust in something outside of yourself and what you can do because the law doesn't make you righteous. And so Jesus says, I do. 
And then in verses 21 through 26, he says, stop killing people by not dealing with your own hurt. That murder begins in the heart, therefore I must deal with hurt and offense quickly, otherwise my worship and word and deed means nothing to God. And then in verses 27 through 30, he said, stop offending God by not taking sin seriously. I need to deal with my inward offense that I do. I, I have to be honest about that. I have to deal with the weeds and the thorns in my own heart. And then he says in verse 31 and 32, stop breaking, separating from people and running from commitments because at the heart, we can't be honest and authentic. And so we run and we try to change people rather than change the condition of our own hearts. And he talks about divorce. And when there's a divorce and there's a separation, there's damage. We need to be honest before the Lord and others using what he gives us for his namesake. And then he goes into verse 38 through 40, and he says, stop hoarding things for your own gain and trusting in what you can see. He says, we, we need to hold things in this life loosely for the kingdom's sake. We need to trust God with our personal well-being and our stuff and our time. And we do this by being a giver, somebody who's generous, open-handed with everything we have. And then he says in the passage today, stop hating the jerks in your life. Love those who are mean to you. Bring them before the Lord. Be concerned for them and look like your father. He says, stop spending, stop, start depending, be, be perfect or trust in the one who is. And trust looks like surrender of my ways to his. And, and next week we'll, we'll get into chapter six, but Jesus gets us in a position at the very end where all we can do is throw up our hands and say like, I cannot do this on my own, Lord. Like, I need you. And Jesus says this, like, you know what? In me, you actually can do this. You actually can do it. We can't love our enemies without the love that Christ has for us. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling with that, loving your enemies and you don't know Jesus, you haven't surrendered your life to him and given him your trust, maybe that's a good starting place this morning because the love that you're gonna love them with is not the love that you can conjure up on your own. It's gonna be the love that comes from the Father. So what are we supposed to do? And I think there's a couple things that we can say that I wanna kinda of wrap up with in regards to our enemies. Stop throwing stones and running away. <laughs> like that's not the answer. I, I can tell you guys right now the number one way that you break unity is that you don't speak honestly in situations and have healthy dialogue. We just run and we don't deal. And I've been in ministry long enough to see that happen over and over and over again. Like we've got to stop throwing stones and then running away. We, then, then we have to stop expecting other people to give us things that we do not give ourselves. So in other words, we, we all walked into the same building this morning. We, we all had the same expectations, which was this. You walked in here expecting to be warmly welcomed by a group of people, didn't you? I would hope you did. If not, we have a major problem, right? But you walked in here expecting to be warmly welcome, and the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is this, did I warmly welcome anybody? Was I active or was I passive? Do I expect people to come to me where there's an issue? 
but I don't go to them? Do I expect to give me to, to give myself the, the courtesies and the kindness, but I don't expect those courtesies and that kindness to anybody else? Do I expect people to see my side of things when I care very little about somebody else's side? Well, one of the things that I say a lot of times, and this might sound kind of hard, and this is big towards enemies, is this. Like, you can love someone without liking them. We say that all the time, and sometimes I think it can be an excuse to just not have to love them. But I think you actually can love somebody and not necessarily like them. And I think this is really important because if you expect to like everybody, you probably won't. Some of my best friends, including my wife, for the first six months that I knew her, we did not like each other at all. And then watching the Lord develop that relationship and it turned into something that we did not expect and that only happened by time spent with one another and actually getting to know each other and so there's some of you in this room that literally have enemies that you've made just because you don't like somebody but you've never been kind to them you've never been you've never given them the time of day and you've certainly never prayed for them and so how do you expect to love them if that's the wall that you've thrown up and you haven't trusted God to sort of get past that wall to love them with the love that he has for them. Something beautiful blooms in our hearts as Jesus gives us this heart for others. It's crazy. So, so how do we treat our enemy? First thing, pray for them. Pray for them. Is there somebody that you're at odds with this morning? Somebody that you don't like? I want you to think about that person right now, and I'm gonna challenge you today to pray for that person, to literally devote a couple minutes of your day today to praying for that person. Do you have conflict in your life right now? Are we praying for people, for our enemies? And then the second thing I'd say is this, is consider them, think about them. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the intrinsic value that people have, how Jesus sees people. And oftentimes, just because they don't look like us, act like us, go to the same places as us, they're not as easy to get along with, we immediately throw up a wall without actually considering the value that they have in the Lord's eyes. And putting ourselves in a position where we're gonna actually press into that and get to know them and to consider them. Like even if I disagree with somebody, I'm actually interested in considering and respecting and honoring what they have to say. Like I'm interested in honoring and respecting them even if they're mean to me, even if they're outright wrong. But this morning, church, you were called to be free. Free, this is what Paul tells us in Galatians. And and, and we're called to be free, we're called into this freedom, living in Jesus' kingdom, and then we hold things. And what's crazy is that it's against our new nature. We're called to be free. We don't hold anything. Like this is, this is all his. My heart is his, my life is his, my stuff is his. It's all his. And what God wants is this. He wants some honest people, some real people. He wants people who are honest before the Lord and saying, God, like, I can't do it. I can't fix this. And church, if we have issues that we need to deal with this morning, 
We've, we've read all through Matthew 5. We spent the last eight weeks on this. If you have issues that you aren't dealing with this morning, here's my counsel. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Our city will be better because of a critical mass of people that don't allow the walls to get in the way of the love that God has for others. And it really is our heart, you guys, that we see the church be the church. And when I say that, it's not just what happens here on Sundays, it actually starts when we exit those doors and we enter back into this community. Would you guys stand with me? That word that Jesus uses in verse 48, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that word's kind of jacked up in the English because it says perfect. The, the Greek version of that word is this word teleos. And the word actually means mature, it means complete, it means whole. And so my challenge for you this morning is that Jesus isn't looking for you to be perfect in your life. He's accomplished perfection for you. But what he is looking for is for you to love people wholly and complete as he loved people. That's not one-sided love. And we're guilty of one-sided love so often. Either we give it when we want it, we, we only give it to others when they give it to us. I think the challenge from Jesus is to be a people with the whole and complete and mature love that Jesus has for us. And we bestow that upon others. So I wanna pray for us this morning. I realized like the last eight weeks working through this, like there's some really heavy topics, but honestly, I can't, we, we, we constantly talk about freedom in church. Like we want freedom in worship. We want freedom in, in our lives. We don't wanna be a people that is hindered. We don't wanna pe be a people that's held in bondage, but yet we choose to hang on to things that keep us behind the enemy's gates. Let us not be that. When Jesus says, love your enemies, this morning's the morning that we kick the gates down. When Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, this morning's the morning that we get past ourselves and we start praying for the people that have done the worst things to us, the people we don't like. How awesome is that? Like, I know throughout my life that there were people that got on their faces and prayed for me. The other day I was like sitting in my office thinking like, uh, I know it sounds kind of odd, but uh, we spent seven years like as this merged church and there was a bunch of like 80 and 90 year old people that were involved in that merge. These people like would call me, text me, come by the office all the time and say, I pray for you. I pray for you and your family all the time. My mother-in-law was constantly praying for my wife and I. And as those people begin to pass on in your life, you start thinking like, who's picking up <laughs> the loose ends here, God? And there's something so sweet about the people who literally spend their time just praying for others. I wanna be that. I wanna be that. Until the day I die, I wanna be the person that like thinks of you and takes time out of my day and prays for you 
I wanna be the guy that doesn't let offense fester in my heart and cause division between me and somebody else, but I wanna be the guy that humbles himself before the Lord and walks in the image of God to love others like God loved him. I wanna pray for you guys this morning, but I really want you to take like a minute and I just want you to sit there I want you to go to your father this morning. Say, God, are there people I should be praying for? Is there love that I have withheld that you desire for me to give? And then I wanna pray for us, and then we're gonna worship, and we're gonna worship like no other because we're free in Jesus this morning. And we're gonna honor him, and we're gonna celebrate the fact that like the only reason we can do anything that's gonna happen outside of these walls is because of Jesus who went to the cross and died a brutal death for us and did not stay there but rose again to entrust his power through his spirit in you to actually live in a new kingdom, to not be in this world, to be the salt and the light, the city on a hill that can't be hidden, to love the unlovable. Why don't you take a minute and let's just spend some time with Jesus. And then let's pray together.